Let's just uh, pray again and ask for God's help as we come to his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Master, we thank you that you speak to us by your spirit, through your word. And as we come to your word now, we pray, please, that you would enable us to uh, listen to you. Uh, give us hearts that are willing to learn and to receive the food of your word, that you might bless us and strengthen us, encourage us and build us up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're looking at Psalm 123. It's just a short psalm, so I thought I'd just read it again uh, for us. If you've got Bibles in front of you, Psalm 123, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave looks to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. For we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. Professor John Lennox um, is a lovely Christian man uh, who, who uh, came from Armagh. Um, he also happens to be Emeritus Professor of Mathematics at the University of Oxford. In other words, he has a massive, massive brain. Uh, you may well have read some of his books and resources, uh, God's Undertaker, uh, Can Science Explain Everything? Really, really excellent resources. And if you're studying, I think of some of the uh, teenagers here, if you're studying science at school, or if you're grappling with questions of science and faith, John Lennox is your man to go to. Anything that he produces is really fantastic and very much worth a read. Anyway, John Lennox tells this story of when he was just uh, 18 or 19 and a student at the University of Cambridge. This is what he says. He says, I find myself at a formal college dinner uh, sitting beside a Nobel Prize winner. I'd never met a scientist of such distinction before. And in order to gain the most from the conversation, I tried to ask him some questions. For instance, how did his science shape his worldview, his big picture of the status and meaning of the universe? In particular, I was interested in whether his wide-ranging studies had led him to reflect on the existence of God. It was clear that he was not comfortable with that question, and I immediately backed off. However, at the end of the meal, he invited me to come to his study. He had also invited two or three other senior academics, but no other students. I was invited to sit, and so far as I recall, they remained standing. He said, Lennox, do you want a career in science? Yes, sir, I replied. Then, he said, in front of witnesses tonight, you must give up this childish faith in God. If you do not, then it will cripple you intellectually, and you will suffer by comparison with your peers. You simply will not make it. And Lennox says, talk about pressure. I had never experienced anything like it before. 
But amazingly, the conversation continued, and Lennox, even though he was just 18, 19, even though these were uh, intellectual powerhouses, science, scientists, he defended his faith to them. But the pressure was immense. Tonight, in front of these witnesses, you must give up this childish faith in God. How intimidating and patronizing. Well, we're thinking this morning about facing contempt for Jesus, the distress of being treated like a child because of faith in God, the contempt of the pride, the ridicule of the arrogant. Um, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been working our way through the, the, the songs of ascent, Psalm uh, 120 through to 134, this hymn book for Jewish pilgrims uh, to sing as they made their way up to Jerusalem, up to the temple for various festivals, songs for the journey. And, and we've seen how these, these psalms have been arranged in threes. Uh, first, a psalm of distress, then a journey psalm, and then an arrival psalm. Uh, and we've seen that pattern. At last week, we reached the third of that first pattern, the high point, an arrival psalm, where the psalmist arrives in the city of God. But with Psalm 123, uh, we're back to the start of the cycle. Uh, we're back down to earth with a bump. It's another psalm of distress written in a place far from God. But don't think that this uh, psalm of distress is just a repeat of Psalm 120. Uh, when we looked at Psalm 120, uh, we, we, we heard the psalmist's distress at being surrounded by lies. That was the thing that was really bothering him, Surra surrounded by lies, living in a place where the truth about God was suppressed. In Psalm 123, the distress comes from a different place. It comes from being ridiculed and sneered at and belittled, from being thought stupid and pitied and patronized and laughed at because of faith in God. Just have a look down at verse 4 of Psalm 123. If you've got it open in front of you, he says, We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. So what should our response be when the proud patronize us for our faith? What should we do? How should we react? Well, I think this psalm gives us the answer. We're going to look at verses 3 and 4 at first, and then move to verses 1 and 2. So slightly the wrong way around, but that's the way we'll do it. What, how are we to respond? Firstly, we're to ask God for help. Verse 3. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. Mercy here just means help in this context. Help us, Lord. So note that the psalmist doesn't respond by looking down his nose at them, even though they look down their noses at him. He doesn't look down his nose at them. He doesn't return insult with insult. He doesn't scoff and sneer at them for their unbelief. He doesn't dismiss them as stupid and childish. He doesn't poke them at their lack of faith. I think sometimes we've maybe 
uh, given in to that temptation, uh, as we feel that we are mocked, we return it, we, 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 we respond with mocking, mocking those who mock us for their lack of faith. That is not how the psalmist responds. Nor does he respond by looking up to uh, those who scoff. He doesn't try to impress them. You think of bullied children in the playground um, who for whatever reason don't run away from the bullies but actually run after them and towards them trying to court their favor and be liked by them. And I guess it would have been tempting for the psalmist to do that, perhaps to downplay those bits of his faith which they find particularly laughable or to disassociate from other believers in order to try and ingratiate himself with the proud. And again, that can be a temptation for us when scoffed at and patronized to kind of admire our scoffers and to feel jealous of them and to want to be liked by them and to daydream about receiving their approval and becoming part of their in circle. The psalmist doesn't do that either. He doesn't look down his nose at them, even though they do that to him. And he doesn't look up to them. Rather, he looks up to God, asking God for help. Have mercy on us, Lord. What kind of help does he have in mind? How exactly does he want God to help him and them? Well, in truth, we're just not told in this psalm. Um, and I wonder if that's because he doesn't really know exactly how he wants God to help in this situation. Imagine someone drowning at sea. Um, he doesn't have the clarity of mind in that moment to be really specific in his request for help. You know, he's not going to say, uh, could, could you run to the end of the path, uh, find the orange life buoy, take it out of its if, if, if it's box, bring it back here and toss it to me. No. He just shouts, help, help. And that's the same as this psalmist. As he faces sneering and laughter and intimidation, he just says, help. Have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy. Of course, to ask God for specific help in specific ways is right and good. You know, he could well have said, Lord, would you silence them? Lord, would you help me not to get discouraged? Lord, would you help me please not to retaliate? It's right and good to ask specific prayers for help from God. But sometimes, like this psalmist, we're just in such distress that we just don't know exactly how we want God to help in this situation. We just know that we need it. And so like the psalmist, we can say, Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Help us. So I wonder when you face the contempt of the proud, um, maybe when you read a, a, a sneering article in the paper about evangelical Christians or something like that, or when you feel that people in the office perhaps are looking down their noses at you because they know that you're a believer, in those circumstances when you're made to feel small and stupid perhaps, childish, what's going to be your response? Don't look down your nose back at them. Don't look up to them. 
Look up to God. Ask God for help. Just cry out to God. God, help me. Have mercy on me. But then this uh, psalm also touches on how we should ask God for help. How we should approach God. What our manner, or what our posture, what our attitude should be as we come to God. It, it shows us, look, we're going to be looking here at verses 1 and 2. It shows us, I think, three things, just very briefly. It shows us that we should come to God humbly. Again, just look at verse 1. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. This is Uncle Sam. Uh, asking for help. Uh, we need you. I want you for the U.S. Army. He's asking for help, but he's not asking in a humble way. Uh, it's, a, it's a demanding way, perhaps even a, a psychologically manipulative way. We need your help. We need you to do your bit. Don't be giving us your excuses. Do your part. We need your help. That is not the way the psalmist asks God for help. He asks God for help humbly. Notice he lifts his eyes up to God, recognizing that he's down here whilst God is way up there. He recognizes as well that God sits enthroned in heaven. He realizes that he's speaking to a king on a throne. And not just any king, but the king, the king high above all kings, the king of kings. He realizes that. I wonder if we were to listen to each other's private prayers. We can't, and that's a good thing. But if we were to, would we be able to tell that the one to whom we're praying and speaking isn't just our father, isn't just our savior, but is also the king the king over everything, the one who sits enthroned in heaven. We're to approach God asking for help with great humility to the one enthroned in heaven. Next, we should look to him with real focus. Looking here at verse 2. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master... As the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. Um, the domestic servant-master relationship is pretty rare these days. So I was trying to think of a modern equivalent of that dynamic and that relationship. And I thought about, the, I thought about Wimbledon and the tennis and the ball boys and girls on center court. Uh, these ball boys and girls at the back of the court, uh, if you watch them, it's astonishing, constantly watching their player on their side. So Novak Djokovic makes just the tiniest of gesture with his hand. I don't even know what it is. It's so subtle. But the ball boy or the ball girl sees it and runs away, runs ahead, straight ahead to offer the towel. Just like that. Or when the player wants a ball, again, What's the, what's the gesture? It's so subtle. And yet the ball boy or the ball girl, is, her, their eyes are trained on that player. with Total focus. And straight away they're able to, to throw the ball for their player. 
an amazing focus. Their eyes are fixed on their player. That's, I think, the sense of verse 2, the eyes of the slave looking to the hand of their master. Total focus. Well, in the same way, the psalmist says, so our eyes look to the Lord our God with total focus. So for the psalmist, this isn't a kind of a cursory glance towards God. This isn't one eye on God, one eye on the telly. Total focus on God in prayer. And again, if we were to listen to each other's private prayers, I wonder would our prayers reflect this level of focus and attention? Of course, all of us are prone to mental drift in personal prayer. I am no exception to that. It's a difficult thing. Thank God that he's patient with us. But this is something to strive for, isn't it? To come to God with real focus, with real attention, deliberately. Then thirdly and and finally, um, notice how the psalmist prays to God with real persistence. Verse 2, our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. And that little word till, until, is really significant, isn't it? It shows that he's not just praying for help for, for a few weeks and then giving up, but praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying until God shows us mercy. This speaks of persistence, asking until he receives. It's a bit like the mindset of a child. Dad, can I get a dog? Dad, can I get a dog? Day in, day out, week after week. Dad, can I get a dog? Until he gets his dog. Persistence. Note note that this isn't impatience. This isn't the psalmist saying, Lord, why haven't you delivered yet? I've been been asking you and you haven't delivered yet. Why not? What's going on? It's not impatience. It's persistence. Lord, humbly, I ask you again, please, would you have mercy? Please, would you have mercy? So again, I wonder how persistent are you in prayer? If If you were to compare your personal prayers today with perhaps prayers two years ago, Um, How would they compare? Would you be, apart from the things that God has answered, would you be praying for the same people, the same things, the same situation until God answers? Our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. A great encouragement here to persist in prayer for help. So what have we, we said? Well, when we're sneered at, patronized, laughed at, belittled, looked down on, uh, made to feel stupid uh, because we trust in Christ, because we follow God. What are we to do? We're not to look down on those people the way they look down on us. We're not to look up to them, to seek their approval, as tempting as that might be. We're to look up to God. We're to ask God for help. Please, Lord, have mercy. And we're to do so humbly, recognizing that he is the king over all, We're to do so with great focus and attention as befitting such a great God. And we're to do so persistently, asking 
and asking and asking again and again till he shows us his mercy. May the Lord help us to respond like this psalmist and show us mercy as we do so. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, please would you be at work in us to give us the mindset and the heart set of this psalmist. We pray that our first port of call may be you, that we may come to you and ask for help, knowing that you are the one who sits enthroned in heaven. Help us, please, Heavenly Father, to do that humbly, recognizing who we are next to who you are, to do so with great focus and attention, and to do so persistently, knowing that you are a gracious and merciful God, willing to help. Help us, please, to be persistent in our prayers. Please help us and bless us in this, in Jesus' name. Amen.